Welcome to episode 271 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So um, before we get going here uh, today, Shane, we've got a new uh, Patreon supporter. Uh, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Thanks, Michael, for being our newest Patreon supporter. Um, really appreciate um, uh, your donation. Uh, this definitely helps us um, with the expenses of the podcast. And, you know, Chris and I are always kind of spitballing future opportunities or ways to evolve it. So all of this uh, really helps. And in addition to Michael, I should have I should have gotten our our Patreon count in front of me here, but uh, a huge thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. We are now up to 47 in total. So uh, yeah, thanks to everybody who supports us uh, through that means. Yeah, we do really appreciate it. Um, There's a few things that we do behind the scenes that uh, have some expenses. Um, We have a few different hosting um, places that, that that we put the bill for. And, uh, and, it, and it really wouldn't be possible to do this on an ongoing basis. It just, at this point, it wouldn't be realistic um, simply because we, we have a website um, where we put our show notes and it's just show notes at actualastronomy.com. And, uh, and you can play our episodes out of there as well. There's, there's nothing else on there. We're not selling anything or anything like that, um, but you can go in there to, to view our show notes, but we do have to pay for that. Um, but that's that was, I think, one of the number one requests when we got going with uh, with the show, Shane, is that uh, a lot of the time people did want to see uh, some of these notes, eh? Yeah, yeah, especially the objects to observe. Uh, we do that at the start of every month, and we roll through a whole bunch of different events or objects to look at. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, at least me, when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm usually driving or I'm working, I'm doing something yeah. else. Exactly. And to, to like capture notes or memorize what was said is, is difficult. So it's nice to have that reference. And, and that's the main reason why we put that out there. Yeah. Some of the other things that, uh, that we spend money on is uh, we actually bought like a pro zoom account um, some time ago. Now I, I think we're into a second year on it or something like that. Uh, because like initially when you're just using the free zoom accounts, um, not only can you not always, but uh, oftentimes we'd be limited in the length of recording that we could do. Um, but additionally, we actually found that the quality of uh, the pro Zoom account was uh, quite a bit better, didn't we? we? We had a pretty big bump there when we switched over to that. Yeah, it seemed definitely seemed noticeable. Yeah. And, and we, uh, we had had some, um, I don't want to say complaints, we had, we had some suggestions from listeners to improve our audio quality. And, and so that was one of the things we did. We bought, bought some other uh, recording gadgets and that sort of thing to improve the quality um, yeah, so it's just like all these sort of ongoing expenses, but, uh, it sort of can be like a hobby in itself, but, uh, I guess maybe in, in a small way, we're like hobby podcasters. Um, but podcasting really isn't our hobby. Our hobby is astronomy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great that we have the support because then we can, uh, we can pursue the hobby that we really want to talk about, uh, instead of, uh, putting all of our money into, into podcasting, which is fun too, which is fun too. All right. Yeah. So thanks Michael. And thanks to everybody for their, uh, contribution. So Shane, I know you haven't gotten any observing in this week and, Neither have I really, because we had a massive, massive snowstorm here on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and that it was a Colorado low, I think, is what it was called. 
so this major system came through and, um, you know, on the coattails of that system, the atmosphere just wasn't that great. We had a lot of wind, uh, a lot of cloud. In fact, I think tonight might be the first opportunity we have to do some observing in quite some time. So hopefully it stays okay out there and, you know, the conditions look not too bad for the next few days. Yeah. Fingers, fingers crossed for that. But, uh, but in light of that, uh, have you uh, made any new astronomical purchases or astronomy related purchases perhaps? No, I have not. Um, I did sell my two 13 millimeter Naglers. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, I did. Um, so, uh, you know, my bino viewing journey is well underway and, um, I purchased, uh, you know, a a Dinkmeyer bino viewer probably over a year ago now. And the gentleman that I bought that from also had two 13 millimeter Naglers. So I had him, you know, add those to the package and, and uh, I've always been intrigued by the 13 millimeter Nagler just because it's a, such a small eyepiece. Like it's almost the size of like a 25 millimeter plossal mm-hmm. um, in, in form factor and almost in weight. So it's super appealing, but the eye relief is tight. You know, it's around 10 millimeters, I think, something like mm-hmm. that. And if I used a Barlow, you know, a Barlow sort of extends that. Um, and with a Barlow, it wasn't too bad, but without the Barlow, I just found it too tight. So uh, probably six or seven months ago, I think you'll remember that I ended up winning an auction on buy EE for a Nikon nav SW 14 millimeter. Yeah. And, uh, I was super intrigued by that. Uh, and I was also, uh, I also had a 12 and a half millimeter Bader Morpheus that I purchased on astrobysell.com. So I was yeah. looking for something in that 13 to 14 kind of millimeter range that had better eye relief. Um, yeah. The Morpheus, I just didn't love it. I found eye placement a little challenging with my telescopes. I would start to lose the field a bit. Um, And it was almost like the eye relief was too much for me. And it comes, the the Morpheus come with a eye guard extender to compensate for this. But -hmm. then I lost a little bit of the field. And um, the other thing that really uh, uh, made me eliminate the Morpheus as an option is it's quite heavy. Uh, compared to the other, uh, compared to the Nagler and compared to the Nikon. So that one was sold. um, And I really, really like the Nikon 14 millimeter. It's a little heavier than the the Nagler, but the eye relief and the comfort is just outstanding. The, to me, the views are outstanding through it. Um, It gets a bit of a a bad rap on cloudy nights. Uh, A lot of people complain about the edge of field brightening. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, this is, I don't know if you call it a phenomena, but like, it's a, it's an aberration, I guess, in the eyepiece. But the weird thing about it is some people like really see it and become annoyed by it and yeah. others don't see it or barely notice it. And I think I'm on that latter half. I, I don't really see it at all. So it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, so these eyepieces, uh, they're just fantastic. So anyway, long story long. What I'm saying, <laughs> I sold the 13 millimeter Naglers. I'm going to buy a second 14 millimeter Nikon so that nice. I have that pair for vinyl viewing. And I think I'll be much happier. Yeah. Hey, did you end up keeping the five millimeter Nikon or did you end up selling that one? No, no, that one's in the stable and no yeah. intention of selling it. Um, yeah. In fact, you know, so uh, like with my bino viewing journey, um, after, you know, my 14 millimeter Nikons, my next step for wide field pairs 
is uh, the eight and a half millimeter Pentex XFs. Um, oh, yeah. They're great, but they're 60 yeah. degrees. So part of me is thinking about maybe like the seven degree or the 10 degree or sorry, seven millimeter or 10 millimeter Nikon nav as well, yeah. because the seven and the 10 are apparently like the real gems in that whole line. Those are the ones huh. people really rave about. And, yeah. you know, the I've looked, well, I have the five and I have the 14 and I think both of those are really, really good. So if the, the sevens and the tens are even better, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and I really struggled as as you know over what five millimeter eyepiece uh, in this sort of um, medium wide field range, uh, the seventy odd degree field uh, that, that you and I tend to prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oh man, and after I tried the the five millimeter Nikon that that you have, I I it took me forever to go and get the Pentax, and the only thing that put me over top is that um, my wife ended up buying it for me last year, but, uh, but as well, uh, you know, I sort of had, uh, had the leaning towards just kind of completing my Pentax set. And I do really like the Pentax. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the Nikons, I think give almost, I, I think it's, it's not an identical view, but it's, it's different, but it's as high quality. And the thing that I do really like about the Nikons is, um, for the quality and in that size range, uh, I don't think there's anything else as good. Um, they're just so small and portable. And if I was still just completely um, set at driving around and observing instead of having a permanent site, um, I would have gotten the, the Nikons. And I may have even switched out to the Nikons. If I was simply grab and go observing still, um, I would... Uh, I think I might've switched over to the Nikons because you can carry the whole set, no problem in a little eyepiece case, um, plus a big wide field eyepiece or three. And, uh, and it's just easy peasy. Whereas with the Pentax as well, I got them all set up here and I can just grab whichever one I want. So it doesn't matter to me as, as much. And I, and I get that field of view that's so similar, but, uh, but yeah, at some point in time, I could see owning them all too. I <laughs> just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of going down that path as well of, of likely owning all of the, the Nikon navs. I just, I really like them. Um, they are about 25% lighter than the Pentax XWs, which I have yeah. no idea how they do that. Cause it's not like the Pentax are heavyweights, but, um, yeah. Uh, the neat or kind of an interesting thing too, about the Nikon navs is like the Pentax XW line has very consistent field of views. Like I think, what is it? 70 ish, 72 yep. or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. I think they like vary. Seven, so. Yeah. And, and the Nikons, the field of view varies a little bit with each eyepiece as does the eye relief. Um, yeah. And, uh, the one that doesn't get much fanfare or like, you know, it, it gets a lot of negative publicity is the 17 and a half millimeter Nikon yeah. nav. Um, I haven't tried that one yet. It's the biggest, it's the heaviest. It has 26 millimeters of eye relief, which is really, you know, likely too much. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the, the second 14 will be coming and, um, we'll see about the others, you know, if I can find, uh, what I like to do with eyepieces, I like to, I don't mind trying them, but I don't like buying them brand new because if I'm going to try them, I like the depreciation to already be there in case I don't like it, then I can just sell it and really yeah. not have lost any money at all. So yeah, I, I, I get you on that. I get yeah. you on that. Cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So other than that though, really no, no real updates on, on gear stuff. I've, I've been pretty static. I'm very happy with everything I have. Good. 
good. I got something coming. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's it's uh, sketching related, not ah. necessarily uh, astronomy gear uh, straight. But uh, yep. I was uh, just looking at my uh, YouTube feed actually uh, just uh, before we started recording this morning, and uh, and there was uh, and I don't oddly I don't get too many uh, sketching video recommendations. If okay. I, you know, I'm on some YouTube YouTubers, uh, page and viewing like one video and they have a video about some random pop band or something forever, I'll be getting that pop band in my feed, but I don't hardly ever get any um, sketching videos, but I did get one today and it was right up my alley. It was for a new Faber-Castell uh, pencil and it is a pit graphite matte pencil. And I was like, huh. That's an interesting design because it uh, it's made to reduce the shine that we get from regular graphite. So I'm not sure if you if you're aware of this, Shane, but if you're um, making your stars with graphite pencils and you're kind of making that circle and you're going over and over the same spot again to give yourself a nice dark star, if you hold that paper up to any kind of light source um, at many angles, you'll get this uh, crazy sort of brilliant reflection even though it's uh, it's a dark graphite pencil. I'm not sure. Were you, were you aware of that or maybe you were? No, no, oh. no. I, I know very little about sketching. Um, you know, I appreciate what you and other sketchers produce and I like looking at it, but in terms of like the tooling, you know, with pencils and paper and all that, um, and even the process, I, I don't know a lot. You know, I learn every time you talk about it on the podcast here, but I, you know, myself, I just haven't really done too much around it. Yeah, so it's one of the banes of sketching in graphite is that uh, whatever you're producing, in particular the stars, you're trying to make a really dark star, so you're trying to use a darker pencil. Well, the darker the pencil you use oftentimes comes at the expense of this increased shine and, and reflectivity of, of what you're actually sketching. You can go online and see all kinds of videos. Like, So when you see like a sketch that somebody's made, oftentimes it will be uh, taken at like a certain angle so that it, it works to uh, eliminate that, that shine. However, like I always found like when I was sketching in graphite and I go to take a photo of it, I'm getting that shine back. I couldn't completely eliminate it. I think that some people who are... Um, who are real artists, they're able to kind of compensate for this in certain ways with their technique and angles and that sort of thing. But, uh, but I don't have those kind of skills. And uh, anyway, so as I was looking at these videos this morning, I, I saw this one and, uh, and this person did a sketch with these new uh, Faber-Castell uh, pit graphite matte pencils. And so I looked them up and one of the great things about sketching is that for the most part, all that like you can buy, all of whatever for not a whole lot of money. So I could buy basically the entire set with smudging, eraser, good sharpener in a nice case. Like the whole bit was $28 Canadian. <laughs> However, I didn't need a couple of things. So I have all kinds of smudging tools. I already have all kinds of sharpeners, have all kinds of erasers. Um, and I don't want to get the absolute darkest one because uh, often those darkest ones um, are the ones that do still give some shine back. And so I just bought the, the standard tin of the 2B, 4B, 6B, 8B, 10B, 12B for $17. <laughs> wow. So you can buy like, you know, a year's worth of pencils, at least for me, for uh, for really the, the cost of a fast food meal, which I, I don't need fast food anyway. So 
<laughs> well, there's there's not much in the hobby of astronomy that you can purchase for under twenty dollars. So yeah. the fact that you kind of you got a whole package here, that's that's really good. Yeah, so that's supposed to be coming on uh, on Tuesday. So so I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking for. I think you and I were chatting. Should have just recorded. We were chatting before uh, we started recording about. Uh, you know, I continue to look for for like an inexpensive mount that will track like a a, a great Polaris uh, GPDX or something like that that I can uh, put out here and permanently mount that will track that doesn't cost uh, an arm and a leg. So yeah, kind of kind of keep my open for something like that uh, for next year. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I might I might end up ordering the Teleview uh, three to six millimeter Nagler zoom here real soon. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. At, at work, we have a wellness account that, um, you know, it's getting towards your end and I, I have a little bit of money left in there. So I thought I might put it towards an eyepiece and, and get this one coming. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't decided a hundred percent on that, but I've, I've molded over for a long time because it's a great, it's a great, um, you know, lightweight sort of your travel telescope eyepiece for higher power and, and my travel scopes are pretty fast, you know, at like F six, uh, ish. So, you know, sometimes, uh, like a three to six millimeter doesn't actually give you a huge amount of magnification. Uh, just yeah. sometimes it's just right. So, um, I'm kind of curious about this. Yeah. Yeah. I used to observe with somebody who had that and it's, uh, it was a, a pretty darn good eyepiece. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard good things. The, again, the eye relief is a little tight, but when, when you get to those, uh, shorter focal length eyepieces, uh, it's almost inherent unless you're, you know, uh, hauling like the Pentax XWs or the Nikons along, um, you're just not going to get the eye relief and, uh, the bigger, heavier eyepieces sometimes just, it, it doesn't sort of fit with the philosophy of the grab and go, you know, suitcase, uh, observatory yeah. telescope that I, I like to maintain. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hey, we still have our, um, I, I don't know. We started off as a pun, um, contest jokes, you know, humor, whatever people can, can write in and, uh, and enter. We're happy to hear from, from any and all. And, uh, I think this is going to be our last week. And, and when we record next week, I think we're going to come up with a winner. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So people have a few more days to get their submissions in. All right. So with, with that in mind, perhaps we'll read uh, a, a few emails. I think in some of these emails, we have a few of these uh, jokes and puns. And uh, yeah, how does that sound? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Maybe I'll start with uh, Ray simply because uh, Ray wrote, he says, hello uh, there. It's uh, Ray from Peterborough, Ontario. And uh, I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool because my wife is also from Peterborough and uh, I used to drag my telescope up there from time to time and do some astronomy. <laughs> so anyway, Ray goes on to say, first of all, thanks so much uh, for your podcast. It's always uh, so interesting and informative. I'm fairly new to astronomy. Uh, he took it up during COVID. And though uh, I was totally uh, into it during the close encounters of the third kind era, uh, he had a uh, 50 uh, power uh, little refractor uh, that he said wasn't of the best quality, but he absolutely loved it. Anyway, he goes on to add, um, regarding the pun co contest, it is interesting uh, how hard it is to think about a pun when you are told, ask, challenge to think about one. I feel like uh, 
um, locking up under the stress. But uh, he came up with a pun and uh, said that it's one that his, uh, I think his daughter passed along to him from uh, YMCA camp and uh, goes on to say that uh, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Girls go to Mars because they love chocolate bars. <laughs> so <laughs> bit, a bit of a rhyme there, perhaps more than a pun, but uh, hey, consider, consider it, uh, consider it, uh, Entered. So we thought that was sort of a, a, a fun, silly rhyme for us to, for us to read. Yeah. Yeah. And then did he have a second part to the email here? Yeah. He's got a second part here. He goes on to say, have you done an episode on Dobsonian scopes? I don't recall one. So many people seem to start with Dobbs and it might be uh, interested to do some kind of appreciation and discussion uh, of them. Their role is a gateway telescope and strength uh, limitations, interesting ways some people might uh, rev them up to get uh, increased performance, uh, stories of lugging them around, etc. Because he says that he's got a 10-inch F5 or 250-millimeter uh, F5 and loves it for star clusters. And, uh, and, and although it works well in deep sky, he gets a bit frustrated and uh, trying to look at the planets with it because uh, image never seems uh, that clear at anything other than low to medium powers, uh, say up to 80 magnification or so. Uh, he says he's got the culmination locked in, but uh, uh, that, that it hasn't quite been uh, working out exactly for him for the planets. So he says, anyway, uh, thanks so much for the show. My wife and children both cringe uh, sometimes when they hear the intro music, but uh, he always laughs and uh, says that he uh, he's a bit of a choir singer. So uh, he's they're used to his nerdy uh, pursuits. So thanks so much for the nice uh, email there from Peterborough Ray. So uh, Shane, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, this is one of those things I think we've all sort of suffered through in our astronomy journeys is that uh, you get the telescope out pointed at the planets and you're not getting those crisp, clear images. I know this, this ranks as among the top emails that I receive from listeners about uh, my planetary observations. Hey, I looked at Chris's um, sketch of Jupiter, Mars, um, Venus, whatever. And uh, when I look at those things, I just see kind of a blob, maybe with a little bit of ill-defined uh, features on it. But maybe what's some sort of general advice for people to uh, maybe improve those, uh, those images of the planets that they're trying to get through their telescopes? Yeah, it, there's a lot of layers to this, in my opinion. Um, number one, and, and I'm speaking from my experience, because I still remember quite clearly when I first pointed my eight inch daub at Jupiter and how disappointed I was actually yeah. <laughs> in the view. So um, I remember I posted on an astronomy forum what I saw. So I said, you know, I, I saw this round disc, I saw the Galilean moons. You know, it was pretty easy to see the, the equatorial bands, you know, and that they were kind of a brownish. And then I saw like the, uh, the, the polar, uh, kind of regions, you know, that they were a little darker and, and I said like, why, like, how do I see more? And, and a lot of people replied and said, well, you're seeing everything you probably can see that that's the view of Jupiter. That's what it looks like through a yeah. telescope. So, um, it was an interesting discovery on my part for me anyway, like as a learning uh, step um, to sort of set the expectations of what I would see. Um, because I think, uh, you know, my first object I looked at was the moon and, and the moon to me is very photographic through a telescope visually. Mm -hmm. um, like it still looks like the photos you see. So when I pointed it at Jupiter, I was expecting something similar and that was a bad expectation to have because it is very different than what you see, 
uh, in a photograph, unless you have like pristine observing conditions, which just don't happen all that often. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would recommend looking at like just doing, doing an internet search for Jupiter sketches, um, probably is a good thing because that can help give you maybe a better expectation of what is, uh, attainable visually. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, with that aside, you know, if you got the right expectation of what to see, um, number one is, is you will be limited by the atmosphere more nights than not. And, you know, if you've had poor, uh, poor observations of Jupiter, it just might be that the seeing wasn't very good and Jupiter and Mars too, actually, um, really, really require good seeing to pull out some of that finer detail. So there's that. Um, and then as far as techniques go, um, you need to spend a lot of time at the eyepiece. Uh, and I think you referenced this in some of your email responses, Chris, uh, that I, that I read, was that, you know, some of those sketches that you've produced, um, you spent hours at the eyepiece Oh yeah, and, and within say two hours, you maybe got a few seconds of actual good <laughs> images or viewing of Jupiter. And that's in those yeah. like millisecond moments when the atmosphere just steadies and then you yeah. see it just a, a quick glimpse of, of, you know, great detail. And then it, you yeah. know, it goes to muddy kind of atmosphere distortion and yeah. so you know, a lot of time, um, at the eyepiece and, and really that's about it. Now, maybe one other thing that I've mentioned before, um, is sometimes, especially with Jupiter, I find if you, if you collect too much light, it can sometimes wash out some of those finer details. So you may want to consider like a polarizing filter, um, or even an aperture mask to, uh, control some of that light, uh, that's coming through, but, uh, that's kind of it for me. I don't know. Uh, what else would you want to suggest, Chris? Yeah, I think uh, I think you touched on most of the main things. Like one of them is uh, is to observe for long periods of time and and to try to observe like your target frequently. Like if you're if you're trying to observe Mars and and see some of these details, like um, you know some of the finer details and and some of the clouds passing over the deserts and that sort of thing, um, it's going to be pretty tough just to expect to see that stuff. Like if you just go plunk the telescope down and just like right away aim it. Going to want to put the telescope out. Let the telescope cool. You're going to want to um, be prepared to kind of be on the planet for you know at least an hour. Like I tend to prefer to do about an hour and a half on a planet. Um, I may produce three or four different sketches during that period of time. I do think that the sketching uh, does help to uh, train your eye and what you're actually seeing. So you know, um, so there's that. So get the telescope cooled down. Um, do lots of observing, spend lots of time on it, um, you know, have some different filters and that sort of thing, different eyepieces to give different magnifications to play around with maybe what's going to work best and what's going to reveal different features to you and, and your eye. And then, uh, the one thing, and I, I always talk about this in my classes, you know, uh, I get people that say, Hey, look, you know, and sometimes people have pretty decent telescopes, but they're not getting the, the images, um, they're hoping to get either. And that is that, uh, you want to uh, have a pretty comfortable observing chair. You and I talk about this a fair bit, but mm-hmm. I always feel like this is among the last thing that people get that's going to give them uh, the largest benefit out of out of all the things and, and advice that we can give people is to either uh, make or or buy or procure or cobble together some sort of good comfortable chair um, to sit at at the telescope, especially for the Dobsonian observers like. 
um, Jim, who is a listener of ours, came out and was observing with me uh, last month. And, uh, you know, he set up his his 10 inch daub and it's a great telescope, really nice telescope. He's he hasn't used it as much as, as he'd hoped and and came out and put it down. And then, uh, you know, I grabbed my observing chair and said, hey, take a seat kind of thing. Right. Like you're in for a better experience here. And uh, and so let him let him have a ride that way. But a 10 inch daub can sit pretty low to the ground. And, uh, and he's a fairly tall person. And, uh, and by having an observing chair, I think even just that night, it made it a better experience for him. But yeah, we see that quite a bit, don't we, where people, you know, if we go to uh, and do an observing, um, you know, star party or something like that, um, it seems like only maybe one in 10 people are using observing chairs, which, uh, which to me is always pretty astounding, because uh, I'll never go and do any kind of lengthy session without one. Yeah. Yeah. No, good comment. I, I forgot about the chair and also about just um, acclimatizing your telescope to the outdoor temperatures. Very important. And if you're not, especially the acclimatization, you know, if, if your telescope is too warm, you'll never get a good view. Collimation is important if you have a daub. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the chair is just, I, I view it now as, as important to me as putting an eyepiece in the telescope. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I always think when people ask this question, I always think about um, a night I went observing with Mike and and I should say it this way. I went out and set up about um, an hour, I think it was like right at sunset. So I, I went out just after sunset. I got the telescope set up and I'm not even observing or anything. The telescope cools and I wanted because I wanted to look at Venus. So after the telescope cooled for an hour and it was around, I think, like zero or minus two, minus three. It was about this time of year. And uh, I was taking a look at, at Venus and then uh, Mike rolled in um, just to, as it was getting dark. And then um, what happened was uh, his views were much more mushy and we had a lot, of, a lot of trouble seeing the details. Now, of course, as the night goes on in a 12 inch telescope, you'll see more details than what, uh, than what we were able to uh, pull out. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll be curious to see how we capture this one, but Shane, maybe we'll get you to go and read uh, Stefan's uh, or Stefan's email. Uh, he wrote us from the UK. Yeah. So Stefan says, uh, hi, Chris and Shane. When I first started listening to your podcasts, I couldn't really understand your obsession for smaller instruments. Uh, over time, I've grown to appreciate your thinking and preference for grab and go setups, uh, which scores on multiple levels. Uh, I guess the best telescope is the one that gets used the most. Uh, to illustrate my earlier and now redundant thoughts on your small scope preferences, I found this funny cartoon which backs up my love for big daubs, which simply must be scientifically correct. <laughs> and I hope this one can be added to my previous uh, pun entry, I think is what that is saying. I yeah. uh, hope, hope the snow, snow clears soon. And it kind of has, there's still some, there's definitely snow still out there, particularly in shady spots, but um, a lot of the snow has disappeared off the streets and sidewalks. So that's kind of a nice thing. And anyway, best wishes. And and that's what Stefan wrote. So do you have that, uh, that image for no, I'm just, joke? I'm just yeah, I was just trying here. to, uh, something happened there with the, uh, with the zoom session. So I was just trying to, uh, investigate to see if I could figure out if this recording is even going to make it. So, yeah, but I think that this recording uh, is going to be good. I don't think that we're going to, going to lose anything here, Shane. So my, my apologies for, for messing up on not getting that image 
uh, in there. I can probably find it fairly quick unless you're able to look. Yeah, I think I think I have it here. Maybe okay. or is this? Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get it here though. We'll get it here though. So, yes, yeah, something got uh, got lost in uh, in the mix. So oh yeah, so yeah, I had thought that uh, this was going to actually come come through, but sometimes when I transfer the notes across. But what what we basically have is that there's. Uh, Two guys uh, or two people looking through telescopes. We get a person looks like they get a Schmidt-Cassegrain, a person with a big dot, and uh, the person with the small uh, smaller telescope is uh, yelling over at the other person, saying, "Hey, no wonder I can't see NGC thirty twenty one. You're looking at it too and using up all the photons." So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that, Stefan. I meant to uh, meant to drop that in. Uh, had a note uh, from Andrew down in uh, in London, Ontario, and uh, this this was a pretty interesting uh, email. We emailed back and forth a couple of times. So Andrew writes, uh, "Hi Chris and Shane, I want to thank you." And so he put his puns into the form of the first paragraph of his email. I should say that so people should uh, should should take this um, into perspective as I read the first paragraph. So Andrew says. Uh, I want to thank you for your stellar podcast. While I wouldn't say my daily commutes revolve around it, I do gravitate towards your episodes. <laughs> I am over the moon when I see it in my feed. It never fails to Saturn any frown upside down. Your data reflections are compelling. I love how you take how you don't take the subject too seriously and are rarely in opposition with each other. It seems we are aligned in our appreciation of the night sky and on the same wavelength, though perhaps we're just erratic or oh, eccentric. Uh, I haven't contributed thus far, but I will skipping one launch break or trip to Starbucks would be easy. Without overstating the magnitude of your work, you two are double stars in my book. <laughs> so I read that. At first when I was reading it, I was like, <laughs> like there was no this is strange. Yeah. <laughs> it just starts that way. I'm like, what am I? And after I get to like the second, third sentence, I was like, oh. <laughs> so I liked it because he kind of got me on that one. So uh so wrote back. Uh Andrew goes on to say in improper English. Uh all jokes aside, I have been meaning to write and thank you for your podcast for some time. I'm a member of the London Center of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and co-owner of a local microbrewery. I've made a number of space-themed brews, including Southern Cross New Zealand IPA, Starless Barrel Aged Imperial Stout, and Interstellar IPA. Oof. The latter honors Rob Work, a local astronomer who discovered Unomia through his work with the PanStars telescope and uh, uses what else? Uh, comet hops. I do enjoy employing the astronomically themed hop varieties Galaxy, Polaris, Comet, Apollo, Southern Cross, Challenger, and Orion. For example, finding a podcast huh. that speaks directly to visual observers was a real treat and it's very motivational to get out and observe. Um, our skies in Southern Ontario likely don't match your prairie skies, but at least our club has a dark sky site over by Lake Erie that helps tremendously. I am currently in the last stages of my uh, Messier certificate uh, through the RASC and hope to polish it off uh, when the spring weather cooperates. Uh, many thanks for your work. It is very much appreciated. Uh, cheers, uh, Andrew. 
And uh, yeah, for those that are interested, as I think Shane is extremely interested. Yeah, I'm, I'm booking a flight to London right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew uh, uh, is at the Forked River Brewing Company. Um, it's in London, Ontario. And they're um, www.forkedriverbrewing.com. Maybe we can we can tweet that out to uh, to our listeners. Would be awesome. And uh, yeah, I did have to ask because I'm I'm somebody that can't uh, drink a traditional beer, so I had to ask if they had any, he had any varieties that he could um, brew up for me. But unfortunately, uh, could not. But uh, anyhow, Shane, I think that would be uh, pretty exciting for you to. Uh, to maybe try to get ordered in here. You could, you could give us uh, give us a review of some of these stellar IPAs. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly love, stellar IPAs. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy uh, microbrewers and uh, some of the interesting things that they come up with. Um, yeah. It's a big, uh, it's a big thing of mine. In fact, when uh, my wife and I travel, we, we often target the microbreweries as much as we can as places to stop and have a meal and, and try the, the local beverages that they're creating. So uh, this this is awesome. I love the connection between the beer that's being made and astronomy, uh, right down to even the the hop choices. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I think this is great. Yeah, I'm a little bit more of a beer drinker myself. I just can't drink uh, all varieties, but uh, but certain ones I, I can have. And uh, yeah, that's sort of my beverage of choice. So I was I was pretty excited, and uh, it just always always fun. Tend to be a big fan of of microbreweries myself and I think many of our listeners are as well and uh, yeah for those in Canada though I think they should be able to go to their local um, spirit uh, distributors and uh, see about getting some of the Fork uh, River Brewing Company uh, beers there like that uh, interstellar IPA that one really uh, jumped out to me but uh, maybe like the uh, starless uh, barrel aged imperial stout might be a better uh, winter uh, brew for those that are that are into those. I think that sounds pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. Although don't drink too much of that one or you, you will be seeing stars probably (laughs) even (laughs) if it's not nighttime. (laughs) I like stouts. They're my, that's my favorite. Yeah. Imperial stouts are usually quite strong. So I like that. That's my, that's my favorite though, but I'm not much for drinking too much. I'm more for just enjoying a little bit. So yeah, I, I probably don't suffer too much from having such things. All right. So um, Dennis wrote us uh, and sent us a, a link uh, to observing uh, and drawing Mars. Uh, it wasn't really a long email, but we appreciate uh, what you sent us, Dennis. Uh, Dennis just said that he's been enjoying uh, the recent podcast, especially the one about observing Mars. And uh, he thought he'd send this link along um, and thanked us for all the good astronomy information. So he sent us a link to the Sky at Night uh, magazine um article which is called uh, how draw mars telescope <laughs> so i think it's like how to draw mars how to draw mars through the telescope but it's abbreviated to how draw mars telescope so if you want to google night sky magazine how draw mars telescope um the article is by um paula bell and uh yeah i have paul's book actually on observing um but, you know, like Paul's a, a tremendous observer, mostly uses his um, eight inch Dobsonian or sorry, eight inch Newtonian. I don't know if it's a Dobsonian. I don't think it is. Um, and uh, has produced some uh, fantastic uh, planetary sketches over the years. Um, but this article is like a little bit of a different take. Um, so I, I was eager to take a read through it and did. Um, it was different from his Mars article in uh 
in the book that I have by him on on observing all the planets. So people should, uh, if they're interested at all in, in learning how to draw Mars, they can uh, go and take a look at that. And then Roger also sent us uh, a link uh, to his article on uh, on battling uh, the Bortle scale. Uh, not sure if you uh, had the, I think that just came in last night. So uh, I, it came in right at the end of my workday. I happened to just check my email. I was like, oh, that looks neat. It was kind of like a bit of a treat at the end of my day. Not sure if you've had a chance to read uh, Roger's uh, article yet though, Shane. I have not, but uh, that might be my tomorrow morning exercise when I wake up and have my coffee. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, just just happened that uh, I was finishing work for the day, and uh, Roger's email just boop, popped in. And I was like, you know, I'm done for the day, but um, I kind of feel like reading uh, a listener email. So uh, he wrote this really cool article um, over at his skygems.net slash home slash battling dash my dash Bortle. And he talks about, uh, yeah, creating a bit of a, of a wind slash light break um, in order to get dark adapted in his uh, light polluted neighborhood. So yeah, kind of an interesting story about, uh, about what one amateur has done to, uh, to, to sort of overcome the, uh, the limits of observing under a bright sky. So yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool article. Thanks for sending that along, Roger. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that one tomorrow. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay, Shane, maybe what we'll do though, is uh, we did have a bit of a, of a hiccup there a while back. I am a little bit concerned. So maybe what we'll do is uh, I think that's a, a fair place to, uh, to conclude this, uh, this episode. And unless you have anything else to add, maybe we can go and see if we have any surgery to do to get this one out to folks. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably a good idea to wrap this one up. And yeah, we might have some editing to do, but that's fine. All right. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we appreciate your your patience. We did have a bit of, bit of a glitch there. So uh, hopefully this episode does uh, does make it out to you, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best to uh, to record another one if it does not. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.